welcome, my lords, to the White City, where you will learn more about Middle-earth and discover differences and similarities between the Rings of Power show and Tolkien's books, and whether Amazon's show, episode by episode, is worth watching. I'm Philip Dutt, your host, and I'll be joined by Mark Schaefer. I hope you enjoy Welcome back, everybody, to the White City Podcast. So, just watched the sixth episode now with Rings of Power, and got to see a little more action, and, um, you know, kind of see more of the Southlanders and kind of what ends up happening with them. So, Black Elves. Is that even, is that kind of, and we're talking about uh, Adar here, you know, is that, yeah. is that something that's much of, from Tolkien's books or? So there's one character who's called the Dark Elf in the Silmarillion, um, and he's the character, the Gondolin is like a hidden city of the elves, which plays right. a really large role in the Silmarillion, and he's the one who betrays them um, to Morgoth and ends up, uh for the sake of the woman, he loves a woman and she's uh, in love with somebody else. And therefore he like betrays the city. Um, so the idea that like he was like twisted fluid Morgoth's purpose is not quite true. Um, but there is an elf who has like helped the bad guys, but it's really interesting. The difference between um, like Adar as being the first sort of orc person. I don't know. That was really interesting. I never really thought of that before. So um, Tolkien's work doesn't really cover it. Um, or like it's covered that the orcs were like originally elves who were like captured and tortured. But, um, the idea that like one of them survived and is like still alive out there is like sort of an interesting concept. Yeah. No, that's kind of cool that they pulled that in there. Yeah. Um, I would have thought he would look more orcish because it's sort of assumed that like the orcs, like they became orcs after they were tortured or whatever. Right. So, and it was also kind of assumed that there were others, not just him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I wonder if he'll play off of that or just kind of leave it at that. But something else that I feel like a lot of kind of fan fiction plays off of is the black speech, which I don't know if Tolkien never even like went into more detail on that or if I was just kind of like, oh, Mordor speaks the black speech and nobody else. Besides, like, I guess with the Ring of Power, the black speech is written on it, so there is that. Yep, uh, that's correct. I don't know, like, I'm not a super master on all the Tolkien languages, but I yeah. do know the black speech is a real language that's, like, elvish, except sort of twisted in some ways. So. Okay, well, that's interesting, yeah. Because yeah. I didn't... I know it's something that... I'm a big fan of like the shadow of war shadow of mordor games yeah. so i think it's used in there quite a bit um but other than that i don't really and besides like the one ring that i've never really heard it come up before yeah generally all of sauron's lines that are spoken in a, another language in the original trilogy are in the black speech as well um so yeah so Something I thought would be in like kind of an interesting thing to talk about is like the different people who 
like decide to stay and the people who decide to like leave for Sauron basically and just kind of the difference the difference in their decision making for how to respond to pain and suffering in a way and it seems that that one old guy like kind of in, what I kind of like noticed in this was like they're going out to like fight the Southlanders and the old guy's kind of like not sure if he like kind of wants to do this or not but then like in the end he ends up like taking the sword and like stabbing it into like the heart of the mountain to open it up yeah it was interesting that like um that character who's originally the bartender right and he sort of yeah. comes across as like maybe the word is genial at the beginning of the story but it turns out that his heart is sort of always loyal to the darkness um which is also sort of interesting that like the division isn't necessarily just caused by the recent events of the story for the Southlanders. It's something that's festered in their hearts for a long time, at least some of their hearts. And so some of them have sort of overcome their past and some are still living in it. But yeah. Yeah, that is, yeah, that's a good point. Um, Cause that's something I've been trying to think about more is like, because I was actually going back to a book that I've uh, read before on Tolkien's life and, like, different things that he experienced that basically went into his writings. And I feel like that's, in the same way, like, it, it shows, like, in his, especially, like, the good characters, you know, their decisions about certain things that happen, um, I think are very evident of what Tolkien like wants to like get across to people um and just kind of thinking about that with like decisions that characters are making in the rings of power show how is that you know is that similar or is like kind of like from the beginning you know with the first episode you know talking about you know you truly don't know the light until you've seen the darkness or whatever right so i feel like that's not necessarily a tolkien quote yeah, it's a very interesting idea. So I think we mentioned this on an episode previously, but Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings came out in a post-World War II era, and sort of the world had gotten very cynical after World War II. You know, there was, before the World Wars, there was all these grand plans that maybe, you know, World War would be solved and stuff. And after the wars, we got a lot of our more darker books, um, and a lot of this idea that, like, the world exists in shades of gray, that there's really no bad or good, it's just all sort of murky, and we're, everyone's just trying to, like, figure out the best they can sort of deal. And Lord of the Rings is, like, a, the exact opposite of that, right? There's, like, there's good and there's bad, and yes, there's, like, characters, especially the men characters of the show and the hobbits are sort of the people caught in between who are tempted to take part in the darkness, and then there's, but, like, the good and the evil are always like pretty clearly set out um um yeah and that's really interesting in this show it seems like a lot of the times it's really important that characters have like a dark side or like interact with the darkness in some way um and i think we have like it's hard to say like we've yet to have like a shining example of the good offered up to us in the show so far our like sort of leading figures our characters like or like the people in power like gilglad right or there's um, the queen who's like sort of struggling between, you know, appeasing her people and doing what she believes is right. Um, and Gladrail is like determined to hunt down and like is sort of in, in a very dark way as I'm going to kill every last orc, you know. And so there's like, it's not really like we have this like shining example of the good. And if you notice, even the orcs are like, oh, we just like want brotherhood. We want our own land and stuff. And so 
we're sort of like throwing them a little bit less darker and throwing everybody else a little bit more dark. Um, yeah. Which is very interesting and not really something I think it really fulfills Tolkien's idea and his works. Right. Because, I mean, I don't know if it ever happened, but you see like with their, is there going to be a bad guy who would like end up siding with the good guys? Um, at least it doesn't seem to happen a whole lot in the books necessarily no or yeah the, right the closest yeah. is like smeagol but he's like yeah. originally a, a good guy right so, right. Like a so hobbit, he says so. like the that you know kind of fighting you know against flesh and blood kind of a thing no yeah you know but uh yeah so it's just interesting to see i like as far as kind of like the Completely good and completely bad guys, you know. If are there is there going to be anybody in the show who's like somewhat bad, who's going to like help out the good guys a little bit, or you know, there's just nothing like that's really come up. It seems like a dar has like been like completely like on Sauron's side the whole time. But even then, he said, "I tried to like I killed Sauron," and it was like, "Wait!" And then Kalash was like, "Wait, no, you didn't." Yeah. Adar is really interesting. Obviously, this character is like not done yet. We'll see where he goes in future episodes. He escaped at the end of this episode, so he's clearly still alive. Um, but it's interesting that, like, yeah, like in the original um, books, like Sauron is totally evil, and like Morgoth is totally evil, right? All they have in their hearts is cruelty and destruction. At like whenever they're like in the shows or in the movies, um, and the movie portrays that really well, right? Like they're like just torturers and stuff, and so. Adar is, like, definitely not that kind of character, right? He shows compassion for his, like, his children, he calls them, right? And so um, it's interesting to see if, like, if we do get Sar on the show, will he be sort of like that? Or will he, I don't know, be, like, the sort of person that Tolkien portrays him as? Yeah. Because something else with Galadriel is that I feel like she is, like, this symbol of, like, truly good. I don't know. At least that's... What I get from, you know, hearing you guys talk and just knowing what, you know, I've also read from the books, I guess. Um, so, I don't know. That's, yeah. yeah. It doesn't seem like that's exactly what's being portrayed in the show right so, now. Oh, absolutely. I think it's, um, Tolkien was, like, really inspired for Gal- the character of Galadriel by, like, Eve. So, like, Galadriel, like, is the one who was, like, from the Undying Lands who, like, right she's like seen light of the trees and she's like one of the first elves who's like ever lived um and in the story you know she's like offered power to become um something greater and she turns it down uh, unlike eve in this story who tries to like become like god and he eats the apple in the garden um so like that that character is like definitely true but this is like the unfallen eve sort of like someone who's pure and good um not sort of the uh dark and twisty as maybe the word that you might use to describe the Galadriel in the show where she's like vengeful and like violent and stuff just doesn't really fit yeah. the character that Tolkien per- like portrays in the summer angry. and the, the watering she seems angry all the time <laughs> yeah I'm sort of like this like drive for revenge is like I don't know it, it's, it's not it's, really feeling it like from the first episode it's her like defining character trait, right? Like Yeah. I mean the first episode, like I thought it was you know, and I was just kinda like willing to like sit like, Oh, it's the first episode, I don't know if this is true. But I kinda thought like Galadriel had almost bad acting because she had like no expressions. And I mean, I don't know. I 
maybe they were just trying too hard to be like, I don't know. Well, it's interesting because in the movies, um, the elves are always portrayed as like the uh, three Lord of the Rings movies. The elves are always portrayed as being like more stoic, right? Like they don't show a lot of like crazy emotion. Um, and this is like fine because like Galadriel and Elrond, these characters are like, um, they're like immortal beings who are like magical and you're not really supposed to relate to them, right? They're like a figure in like Frodo and the Hobbit's journeys and not mm. like characters that you're supposed to empathize with really. And yeah. the show has taken those characters and like made them the front and center. So it sort of is like struggling with Gladriel, I think, and that like yeah. it's sort of making her more the stoic personality, one dimensional, and that's like um she just like was not the character in the books was never meant to be like the main character of a show. Right. Um, I think with Elrond, it's interesting because we don't really feel like it's like Elrond coming across. It feels very different, but that's because he is more expressive and shows a lot more emotion, which is like not really how elves are mm-hmm. usually portrayed um, or Elrond yeah. is portrayed in the movies. So, Right. It's interesting also to see that they like talking about like good and evil and making decisions that might go every way that men are more easily turned that way. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's how Tolkien wrote it. Um, but Hallbrand, just he doesn't really seem to like. Yeah, he has this past where he's like made bad decisions, which but we don't like, know about still. But yeah, but currently, like he hasn't. There's nothing that he's done really besides like beating those guys in a brawl, like in the in the alleyway. That's been like, um, like kind of questionable or like oh i wonder like he's kind of this he's kind of question questionable in this character you don't really know how i don't know he's not like galadriel in that sense of you know just being more kind of i don't know yeah it's interesting because like this episode paralleled him and galadriel with like him about to kill adar and then um galadriel literally does the same thing like two seconds later right um and it's sort of like um, and, and it seems like there might be a, a romance there going on, yeah. which would be a terrible decision. Yeah. But, that, um, I have no idea what that was. Yeah. But like, sort of like parallel, like paralleling, they're like, oh, they're like, both people have like touched the darkness and therefore they'll be able to find the light. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So it's interesting. And we've, I think we've also touched on this, just how many, um, crossovers from the trilogy there are, especially in this episode, there just seemed to be a lot of parallels um it's so here's like and you correct me if i'm wrong phil like i I don't want to speak for you but like i have this feeling that like it hits some of the like the big moments of the movies but without any of like the proper build-up um and there's just like all these shots like there's a one of the first episodes right galadriel fell into the water and it was like the shot that paralleled like frodo like going down after sam in the fellowship of the ring right at the very end um, and just sort of like all these like parallels in this show, especially or this episode, especially we had like the parallel of Isengard getting flooded, um, and a bunch of others. Um, but like, if you're watching the movies, especially recently, you'll be like, Oh, this reminds me of this scene. Um, and it just is like, but they come off across like, I don't know, just like lackluster. And it's like, um, like the show doesn't have any good ideas to create its own big moments. It's just trying to like steal some of the nostalgia from the movies, um, by sort of having these parallel scenes. Um, yeah. Is what it feels like to me. Yeah. Um, I, f- I think you had mentioned this when we were watching and I think I'd agree that 
it was it was kind of a quick like um kind of catch up at the beginning of the episode whenever Numenor came in um and I felt like they could have at least given a scene of like alright you know let's you know everybody settle up we're gonna go to the Southlands you know we yeah. didn't, didn't see any of that and like and they arrive just as the sun is yeah. like rising right which is right. very two towers the yeah Helm's Deep ending I guess like I don't I wouldn't necessarily have like noticed that so much, but I think as as far as a quality show, you know that Amazon's producing that is that is more expensive than any other show out there, and you know at first there were like small things that I saw that I wasn't really ah oh, it's no big deal, but then just kind of seeing like things dragged out. And I just felt like it could have been a better, a better lead up to that, you know, bat like charge scene than just like throwing it on you, you know? Yeah. I think this was like another thing I was sort of like remarking on in this episode that, um, like the original movie trilogy sort of has like this really natural flow and like build up to it. Um, that like, the characters are traveling from one location to another, and as they're traveling, the stakes get higher and higher and higher. And this, uh, and even in just this episode, there was like they were in the tower, and the enemies attack the tower, and all of a sudden they're like back in the village, and they're fortifying the village, and then the enemies are back at the village and stuff. And um, it, it was all very quick to me. And it's like this is like you need to build up before the action and have like more moments, but it sort of was like very very quick, and I don't know had none of the like build up um, yeah this one the action was still pretty fun i enjoyed it um yeah but the like the yeah. charge at the end like didn't have any of the right. climax that i felt like the two towers charge mm-hmm. or even the charge in the return of the king yeah and in a in a sense they might be trying too hard to to create parallels um and i don't know maybe they're Maybe they also had a lot of pushback for not like using something from the similar lane they couldn't use. But I just feel like despite all that, they still could have, you know, made it more interesting in the beginning, you know, kept you on the edge of your seat, giving you, you know, I don't know, built, I don't know, just created more like better dialogue in certain in certain ways and dialogue definitely hurts yeah so um the only piece of dialogue that was like really good in this episode i thought was like the dialogue between the uh the boy and his mom or whatever and that's from like uh, a direct quote in the return of the king from whenever sam like sees a star in the movies he says something like see mr frodo there's like a star up there but he has this much longer quote in the books that's like um there's like a like the darkness is only temper and the light will like come eventually um hmm. which is like what the mom said right so yeah. yeah the dialogue really feels like it suffers and this is like tolkien was an english teacher or english professor at like oxford right so yeah he he knew the english language very well and his all his lines have a lot of poetry to them and the show seems right. like it's really struggling to sort of make the dialogue even match up so i don't know i'm trying to I guess kind of compare like in this episode specifically what are things that 
I guess we can tell, like, facts-wise that, like, came from the books compared to things that, like, they're making up. Um, and then I guess we could even go deeper with saying, like, with what we've talked about before, even being more, you know, Tolkien kind of vision-related re- as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's sort of a difficult question because in this episode, I felt like none of it really comes from the books. Um, the whole plot line of there being like a first eruption of Mount Doom, which is, I think the mountain that erupted at the end of this episode and like the orcs trying to rehabilitate Mordor. It's just not really in the books. Um, the, in the, what is in the books is that Sauron was setting himself up in Mordor and actually taking over most of middle earth. And then the men of Numenor come in large numbers and sort of wipe out his forces and sort of imprison him and take him back to Numenor with them. Um, so this is like very a definite flipping of the script where it's not Sauron they're fighting, and it's like sort of this very small actually engagement rather than this big war that happened uh, in the books. Mm-hmm. So they're definitely flipping the script. So it's very, very little, though that seems like it's taken from Tolkien's books in terms of big story arcs. Right. One of the smaller moments of, you know, Sildur interacting with his horse and as well as Elendil and from father-son bonding moments. I don't know, mm-hmm. feel more like Tolkien's yeah. works and especially Aragorn yeah. and his relationship with mm-hmm. horses. So Yeah, that's what I think that's what yep. they're probably tying into. Um, Another parallel between the movies. And yeah, the, the but that was right. was the whole like horse thing more of a movie thing than a book thing? No, Ar- Aragorn had a deep connection to horses and horses is a really big deal, right? Shadow, Shadowfax is like a, right. know, a famous horse that came yeah. off-road and Tolkien spends some time on the different horses. I believe even the okay. horse that... Legolas and Gimli ride is like a horse that's like mentioned in name. I don't remember its name, but yeah. Yeah. And something that I thought was interesting is the amount of like art, like the amount of um, like the army that they, that Numenor sent to Middle Earth um, seems to be smaller, at least like three ships, you know, compared to, like, I kind of like compared lot. to the book yeah. because the book it was like this massive fleet, you know, hundreds of ships, massive armies, and this is sort of um, the point uh, for Tolkien's work of like Numenor that like sort of the good men create good times and then good times create weak men or whatever. Strong strong men create good times. So Numenor was in the phase of like good men created like uh, strong men created good times. But now the good times are creating weak men, but they still have like a powerful army, even though morally they're being corrupted. Hmm. Um, so they're about to like, this is like whenever they're sort of morally at their one of their weakest points, they go to Middle Earth in full strength. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and that's like another point is that in Tolkien's work, this idea of like moral strength is usually connected to like physical strength in a battle. Um, so like uh, someone who's like pure is like stronger. Someone who's like more evil is like stronger. Um, mm-hmm. So this is sort of like a abnormal point in his uh, storyline that Numenor is like morally yeah. weakened but physically strong. Right. This was episode six, and there's going to be eight episodes, right? Right. Yeah. So we got two more. It's it's sort of interesting that like I thought the show would end on like a really big climax, um, and it, it seems like hard like. They've, I feel like they've paid off a lot on already a lot of their buildup, right? Like the Mount Doom erupting and the men going to Middle Earth from Numenor, yeah. um, and and the Southlands. It's very interesting to me that like, where are you going to have like a big ending season episode or moment? Um, I sort of like I don't know. 
that yeah. might be something to look out for in the future if like the show ends on like a really low yeah. note or whatever. Um, here's another thing. Still thinking about the whole Numenorean, um, you know, uh, exploration of Middle Earth, basically, and um, I guess the thing from the book it was more of kind of a build up, right, of them going out because. I think at this point they probably already had like you know ports around Middle Earth. Yeah. And um, I mean that the show kind of gives it a sense of oh this is our first time to go there, and I guess in that way then like having only three ships would kind of like make sense because they don't necessarily want to send oh hey we're gonna do this great like you know exploration Fleet, expedition. Yeah out there towards some end we're not really sure about but yeah yeah it's not like it's not an awful choice it's not of all the things they've changed from the the original lore it's like not the one i'm most frustrated by yeah but um it is a significant change yeah in that. like um yeah especially the in the story of the fall of numenor numenor sends out its large fleet and then conquers like sauron or beats him and then mm-hmm. sets up a lot of port cities but then over time, as Sauron slowly corrupts them, they start turning away the elves and start to paying less and less attention to their coastal lands okay. um, and becoming more inward focused. So it's like part of their corruption. Yeah. So it's sort of interesting. That, like it showed them like already sort of corrupted and rejecting elves and not like sort of inward focused on their own politics and okay. society. And now they're like going out again. So it's sort of okay. like interesting flip them that I got way. You. Yeah. Not exactly following the following it exactly, but um I mean, it's interesting, yeah. So, um, there's an interesting line that Galadriel gives to Hallbrand whenever they're um, talking about like what he used, what he used to do, and what he had done, and just him being free of it. And um, I think, like she said, just be free of it. Um, and then he went into talking about how, like, right, I think this was part of actually the whole, like, scene that he said, oh, I, he had because he had, uh, fought alongside he, like, her, fought along her, and he and felt like, this I feeling. I felt it, too. And, right, it's, and I guess, like, when I was thinking about it is, like, what, how is he finding freedom from that, right? It, at first I thought it was going to be, oh, it's just going to be him like getting over it but you know then it seemed like um they kind of threw in some way of salvation that seemed very romantic love romantic love yeah but like against the books like like, you know what i mean like this for people that like have read the books there's only like what maybe a handful like what is it baron luthien aragorn and arwen yeah, and I mean, there's a few romances, but with like Tolkien focuses with men and elves, though, is what I think. Oh, oh, between men and elves, yeah. yes, very rare. Right, uh, Baron Luthien, and then Tour and the Princess of Gondolin, whose name is escaping me. So there's two unions, um, and they like produce, uh, and their offspring marry of the two unions, and that offspring is uh, Arendelle and Elwing, and they have Elrond and. Elros and so yeah yeah there's right. only two unions so very rare and uh, and it seems like everybody and their brother in this show is you know <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah and it's like very weird because like 
like Gladriel has a husband at this point in the right. book and, and a kid actually and two. Um I don't know if I brought that up before. If I had or not. Um but I think maybe we did it the last time and how I don't know, I think I think that's a pretty big telling sign also of in a way Amazon trying to push an agenda that like of their own making um that instead of it being middle earth esque it's kind of like oh hey guys we're trying to make this just like you know you'd like see it today and you know yeah yada, yada. and it's hard cuz like i mean Tolkien wrote like uh Eowyn is like one of the you know one of the strongest woman characters to ever like right. fight and stuff um and just a great character in general um but that like that was not Galadriel's character right so like they very much like changed the way Galadriel right. was portrayed and what she meant in the story and stuff yeah rather than um like a, adapting a new character to that role um mm-hmm. yeah it seems very much like Galadriel they just were like we want this kind of character and we're just going to use Galadriel's name and yeah you know start our off as like this violent right. like rough and tumble kid and mm-hmm. stuff and not really fitting with who she is yeah i you know kind of anticipating that they would do something like this with galadriel or with other women characters and then comparing it to what kind of tolkien did with eowyn um it seems to, like eowyn you know went to battle yeah and she killed the witch king you know and that was a great feat but it wasn't something where it's like, oh, look at women power. It's like something where, oh, look, look how somebody was used, somebody who's kind of insignificant, who's used to accomplish a big feat. I mean, I'm not a woman, so I won't speak for women. But when she says, I am no man, that sort of feels like woman power. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but um, I think it's very interesting that uh, when Eowyn goes to war, it's actually like um, a lot about of like uh, depression, right? Like, is Aragorn rejects her? And so, and she feels like everyone she knows is going off to war. And so it's sort of this like desperation move by her. Um, not that she's like, she's a really capable warrior because obviously like yeah, they have to defend themselves, but yeah. yeah. Um, so it's like, it's definitely like um, sort of like a last ditch effort by her, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, rather than like a first choice that like, she's like this hard, yeah. hard, hard battle war, war, like warrior woman or Amazonian right. or whatever. And she does end up getting married at the end of like the books, right, right to Faramir. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, definitely like the way they've portrayed it. I think um, to back up a little bit to the Gladriel and Hal- Halbrand scene, where yeah. it's like you're not who you were, that person anymore. And then the way like to freedom is romantic love. Tolkien, while he does like write a lot of great romances between elves and men, and between men and men and elves and elves, like he writes a lot more about friendship um and this is like frodo and sam is like the best example right like frodo has his deep painful burden to carry and sam is like the best friend who gets him there right and like um like friendship is like what gets the characters through the right. hard times and like you do have a little bit of like romance with the aragorn and arwen but that's like much less on a back burner mm-hmm. um and so it's really interesting that like um i think our modern society has like lost a lot of friendship and obviously, like, a lot of people say, like, Frodo and Sam are gay and stuff because, like, we have to, like, have romantic love be our, like, yeah. victory or battle yeah. cry rather than, like, friendship being an acceptable one. Um, so I think our culture really lost friendship and therefore this show is really downplaying friendships. Yeah. Though we do see it maybe a little bit with the children as friends, but really focusing on that romantic love storyline. Yeah. 
um that and that is the redemptive like path to freedom from our like past yeah. or our troubles or our pains and temptations mm-hmm. so right yeah do you find it in somebody else i guess um i don't know i mean yeah, it can like be found. the friendships and that help people through stuff in the lord of the rings is that what you're saying um yeah just well with like you know talking about you know for instance you know Hallbrand trying to get over what he did in the past and he's basically using like kind of got like galadriel like i found found like a way out of this through you and i thought it was i thought it was going to be would make sense like oh you kind of like help me to come back here and see who like see how i can bring these people back to you know good and fighting against sauron but instead it was more of a just like oh i i like kind of have this feeling for you Right. right, which is very interesting because, like, in the books, like, Gladriel, like, changes all the characters of the Fellowship of the Ring because she's, like, this platonic ideal, right? She, like, sees through people and is, like, sort of the height of elven power um, and goodness as well. So she has, like, a huge effect on all the characters. Like, you know, Gimli changes his entire view on what he thinks of the elves after that point in the books and really begins his friendship with Legolas after that point of meeting Gladriel. Um, and characters like Baromir are, like, seen to the heart and he feels this guilt and Aragorn. So, like, this idea that, like, romantic love is, like, the only thing that, like, um, changes us. Like, if Halbrand had been, like, oh, like, because of what you represent, you know, the goodness or the freedom mm-hmm. that I, like, can experience. But it's not. It's, like, this personal, like, romantic love. And it just seems like yeah, a flimsier thing than what Tolkien writes. Right. Yeah. No. That's definitely... Definitely something I think that's different. Um, and, yeah... So, it's been very interesting to see how, like, this is, this episode is one thing I think they've tried to build up to, um, and that's also something I, I've seen in, like, um, you know, Amazon's, you know, comments on, like, for, like, the Rings of Power on Facebook, basically, and just, like, kind of... Like telling people, oh, hey guys, this episode's gonna be great, you know? And because everybody's like, well, we're trying, we're waiting for something, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but that, it seems kind of forced, and it's like, well, you wouldn't need to tell anybody, really. Um, so I think that's like, that's one of the biggest things I have uh, a quibble about with the way they've done it is just like, the writing i don't know the way they've produced it seems to be kind of dull at times overall like you know you know what i mean i feel like there could be there's something missing obviously yeah um it's interesting because first watching the first few episodes my impression very much was like they've strayed really far from Tolkien's idea of the world, but it's like a really interesting story or a really good story. The characters are interesting. And like definitely in the last few episodes, it's been like, actually like um, there's been like, there's like huge problems with this story. Like um, it like lacks like a lot of buildup. And like I said, like they, I feel like they had all the payoff in this episode with like both the Southlands and the like Numenorean and Gladriel storyline. So it's like, what is our like big payoff for the end of the season going to be? Or is it just going to be a really anticlimactic ending? Yeah. Um, 
but also that like the dialogue of the show seems to struggle and like the pacing just seems to struggle and like we still don't know who Sauron is or where he is or what he's doing yeah we lack this sort of consistent villain of the show like Adar yeah. is just not cutting it in my opinion um, right so yeah um and maybe they don't want Adar to seem like he's able to cut it you know right and he like he seems like almost like a friendly not friendly that's a bad word but a relatable or sympathetic character that um, I'm guessing in the end it will be like him and Sauron vying it out and Sauron will like totally kill him and it'll be like a new day for the orcs as they enter like a more cruel and face under Sauron's rule. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is kind of just like thinking about Hallbrand becoming king and all this which I think is cool like I think Hallbrand has been like one of my favorite characters, honestly. Um, and then like also like Elrond and uh, Durin have been pretty cool. Oh, they, that friendship but, has been like the, one of the funniest parts of the show and one of the most actually book accurate because Elrond really was friends with Durin and the close like friend of the dwarves. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I, I actually would agree. Like if you're going to like write your own characters and like make them great and i think they've done like a pretty good job with albrand um my only complaint is that like it seems a little bit like there's some very obvious copies of aragorn but yes yes and yeah some of that too with uh lendil with the horse you know but i think it's kind of an obvious parallel that you know, we can give him that one (laughs) well obviously like that's aragorn's descendants so yeah right right but it's just sort of interesting that like um this idea of like the returning king was like such a big theme and like was what gondor had waited for so long and it just feels so like petty to have like yeah oh are you our king he's like yes i am i was like yay i'm like the king of this little tiny village i don't know it's like yeah um it just seems like very anticlimactic the village like just gets destroyed so um yeah i'm sort of curious to see like yeah where this goes but Mm -hmm. In some ways, it seems like, all right, how much... They spent a lot of money on this. So, like, how, like... I wonder how they spent it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. On the music. The music is fantastic. I will never complain about the music. For some, like... For some reason, like, I I don't know why, but I haven't really noticed the music. And maybe it's because it's been so good that it's just, like, gone and flow with the story. Like, listen to the soundtrack sometime. Like, it's it's great. But, because I mean Howard Shore, he's actually he's the one like that composes it, I think right? So, so yeah. I think that's a big plus. Um, um, but you're right that like it's just like crazy to me. Like this is like in terms of like I don't know. I maybe I'll speak for myself. Like my own personal enjoyment or like personal assessment of the quality of the show is just so much less than the like Lord of the Rings movies. And apparently Amazon spent more on it, right? Which is just it seems like insane to me. Like yeah. Um, and even if you, I compare it to like other like non fantasy like works that I've seen recently, it's like, wow, people are just coming out with better content or movies or shows these days, even to someone who like, isn't, um, like a huge Lord of the Rings nerd and is complaining about Tolkien's yeah. legacy, like being attacked or whatever through the show. So that's me, by the way. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think Hallbrand might end up being a ring wraith. Like, I think that's 
I don't know. I feel like that could be pretty obvious just because he's do like, wanna... he's a king in Mordor. But... Yep. Do you want to talk a little bit more about the ring rates? I've been brushing up on my lore, so I, <laughs> I, I'm ready. But oh right, yeah, let's yeah let's yeah. do. It. I mean, so I feel like they probably won't come up until the next season. But it's you know for people who don't know much about that backstory, that would be pretty cool. No, yeah. Um, so the ring race are nine kings of men, and actually, I found this out when I was brushing up my lore that three of them are Numenorians in the in the lore. Um, though we don't know who their names are, or who they were. But all of them were nine powerful men, kings, sorcerers of some sort. And Sauron, after claiming the rings of power that Celebrimbor makes, he ends up giving them nine rings, and this extends their life a lot. Um, and gives them great power, and they become huge rulers on uh, Middle-earth. And so they end up being sort of their own people, but over time the ring corrupts them, and they eventually become the ring race. Um, yeah. So it definitely would be like really fitting if uh, Sauron gives um, Halbrand this ring, and he like uh, like needs it to like reclaim his throne or something, or maybe to like in a conflict with the Numenorians because they're trying to impose on his kingdom or something. Yeah, um, it definitely seems like it would fit sort of the lore for that. Mm-hmm. So, were all the Ringwraiths kings, or is that just? Uh, so there's not like a, a lot of detail about each. We know three of them were Numenorians. One was an Easterling, a Car- named Carmel. And the only other one we know about is the Witch King of Angmar. Um, gotcha. But we know that some they're, they're like wizards, sorcerers, powerful people of men. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And it'd be interesting to show how they do it in this um, show. Um, how, like, how Sauron's going to give it to them. You know? Yeah. That would be interesting. Um, well, I think it's really interesting. Like, we've seen very little magic in this show so far. And magic is like a big thing that surrounds the rings of power and like a lot of those characters in the show um so i'm sort of like i don't know are we gonna like see anybody bust out some spells anytime soon yeah it seems like gladriel doesn't like know yeah. any spells like, using them i kind of assume obviously like gandalf or whoever the stranger is is obviously yeah. using some magic but like when that big billow of cloud was coming towards everybody i was thinking maybe like gladriel put up like a shield right sort, you know someone commented that like in the very first episode there's like this stone wall covering one of the things in the like the dungeon that they're searching and it's like it would be a perfect time for god to use magic and instead she just like punches through it or whatever it's like really cheesy um yeah i don't know sort of like they wanted not like a yeah high elf sorceress but uh typical yeah very so strong woman right. character and not that like the magic or sorcery should be like kind of blown out of proportion right because it seems still that Tolkien didn't really use it that much I mean with Gandalf and fireworks and you know him doing different stuff I feel like there's a lot with them but yeah there's actually like I, I was brushing on my lore there's actually like a lot more um magic thing in the show than you remember I think the interesting thing is that characters don't like say spells and stuff Magic is just an extension of who they are, and sort of a lot of times it's connected to their realm. So Sauron always has like the power to control the clouds and Mordor and keep them like the orcs covered. Galadriel can keep orcs from from attacking her realm by like they always get confused in the mazes and has like a magical defenses. Elrond, you know, having the fords like drown the people like so. So it's connected to this place and also objects as well. Um, so yeah. 
Right. So there's not is there much of a backstory in Mount Doom? Like it doesn't seem like there is. No. Nope. It's just yeah, uh, so if there is, I don't know. Right. I'm not like right. the end all be all of Tolkien well, lore experts, I mean, but yeah, a lot of people make things up about it too, though. <laughs> That's true. In general, um, yeah. The only thing is that Mount Doom had another name, and it was Orodrun. I'm not know if I'm saying that right, but okay. um, so, but yeah, yeah, gotcha. Like the orcs said the like Udun. I don't know if that's what they were calling it. Mm. But. So there's two things that are Udun. Udun is one of the regions of Mordor inside the Black Gate. Um, whether it's named that at all right now, but it's also the name of um, so, uh, Morgoth's fortress, which was uh, I think it was Ingbad. Um, but it, it's the another name for it was Udun. Maybe I'm thinking of the wrong fortress though, because Morgoth had two fortresses. But one of the fortresses in Morgoth, one of its names was Udun. Yeah, I believe it also maybe means death in the Black Speech. I think, which makes sense as well. They always chant it before battles and stuff. So, yeah. Um, this would be cool to see, but Ungoliant. I feel like it would wow. make sense for her to come up, but I don't. Or would that not really? So Ungoliant is. Big, she's the one who destroys yeah. the trees, and they didn't. They already portrayed that like of the trees getting dark, and they said like Morgoth did it, and what she does, he convinces Ungoliant to do it for him. Um, but she doesn't really show up again after that story. Um, gotcha. we know that she's the mother of all the spiders, um, right. and Shelob and other characters like that, the spiders in the mm-hmm. Greenwood Forest or Mirkwood Forest. Um, so yeah, but she doesn't show up a lot after that. But it is sort of interesting, she's like this, um. I don't know. She's a very interesting character in that, like, she, like, consumes light is, like, what she eats, and she's so powerful at one point that she even threatens Morgoth, and he has to have his, like, Borogs come save him. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great storyline. Oh, that's cool. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, well, there definitely seems to be a lot more things um that we can say about just the characters um you know the decisions they're making and why they're making those decisions um and to what end i guess um so you know doesn't seem really like it's adding up to the way Tolkien wrote things um entirety but um yeah, someone made a comment that was, I thought, interesting that, like, this idea of, like, we don't know what the light is until we've touched the darkness, where a lot of characters in, in Tolkien's world do have to go through trials that make them stronger. You think of Aragorn has to go through multiple trials on his way to become king. Frodo has to go through these trials. Um, but ultimately, it's difficult because Tolkien, that's not, like, necessarily you don't have to do the, these trials to be good. You have to do these trials to accomplish something. Aragorn needs to do these trials yeah. to become king. But um, like the good characters in, in um, Tolkien's like world don't always like aren't don't always have a dark side, especially like especially this inner tor- turmoil is like very interesting. Whereas a lot of Tolkien's characters wrestle outwardly, except for the One Ring, which is sort of an outward force in a lot of ways to tempt people. But um. They wrestle with outward like struggles rather than these inner demons that seem like they're haunting Gladriel and Habrand. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it'll you know it'd be interest interesting to see how 
Amazon does with the rest of the show, you know, with it being such a big hype and, you know, them putting so much into it and now at times just seem like, oh, you know, it doesn't seem like it's that great. So No, yeah, know. definitely. I, I was curious though, we've like focused a lot on the like, we don't know what the light is until you touch the darkness. Is there like other elements of the story that you can think of that are like, oh, this like seems like a recurring theme that maybe um, like either does line up with Tolkien's works of like and the themes he tried to communicate in the books or like doesn't? Um, is there like other things you can think of? Uh, from like the show? Yeah. Um, hmm. <sighs> we sort of touched on I the mean, theme of like romantic love yeah, as well. Yeah, I guess like one thing... As you know, we're just thinking. So, we're think if we think about just facts, right? Um, it seems like they did Numenor pretty well. Yeah. Um, with that. Um, I guess I was thinking more like you're not thinking just like facts, but like yeah. themes that seem like personalities yeah. and the characters and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I think like Hallbrand's personality um, could be pretty. I think that's pretty good. Until he comes to like the point where he's like showing feelings for Galadriel, <laughs> and then you know it kind of seems like he's, wait, you're our lost king. I mean, they kind of build up on the lost king thing, but um, if we look, think more about characters, like Elendil is like for for the men, like he is probably the best. Like they don't they don't show him a whole lot, but if they keep going the way he's going, like that he will be one of the best characters. And I think that is pretty accurate. No, yeah. In fact, Elendil is like, of all the characters that I was like, wow, this is like sort of how I always imagined him. It's probably Elendil. Um, And Isildur, like, hopefully we're going to see like some development of his character. He seems like he's a little bit bratty at the beginning, but will eventually develop into a bigger person. Interestingly enough, someone made the comment that like Gil-Galad is like sort of this evil not evil maybe but conniving or scheming mm-hmm. character that we're sort of not really rooting for we're sort of like rooting for elrond against him um and he ends up being like one of the best characters in tolkien's work as well and ends up right. playing sauron and dying to sauron yeah. but um, a character that you really root for at the point of the last alliance and mm-hmm. so if they do want to portray the last alliance if that's where they're heading they really need to um have like a Gilglad be like yeah a redemption arc because he's like he leads the elves right yeah in that. yeah so he's also like yeah he's like one of the best kings the elves have because like all their other kings were sort of like not so like some of their kings like were the high kings of the elves were like more about vengeance from from like to get from Morgoth rather than about like being peaceable nice people so yeah okay yeah um I feel like. So Durin, he seems like a good dwarf. Like, that, yeah, that fits. The dwarves well. seem. If I, I'd say like this show might have portrayed the dwarves better than the Hobbit did, maybe even like, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because like the Hobbit has like this. The the opening scene of the Hobbit is great. Um, of the Bilbo's like the the surprise guests at the Bilbo's like place. It also, if you ever read that, like if you haven't read the Hobbit, go read that story. It's amazing. And like the first yeah. chapter, you're hooked already. Um. But, yeah, it's interesting because, like, in The Hobbit, they made it seem like the dwarves are, like, um, maybe the right word for them is, like, ragamuffins? I don't know. But, like, slovenly is, like, a big thing. And this is actually, like, not characteristic of the dwarves at all. Like, some of them are, like, 
love food and stuff and a lot of those characteristics but literally there's like people with like axes sticking out of their face for like entire like <laughs> ah. scenes of the movies yes um, the one dwarf just has an axe in his head right? the whole time and they're like dressed <laughs> like they're like homeless people sometimes yeah. and it's like oh actually like they're more like this Durin character or Thorin is portrayed in or Gimli yeah. as always being very neat very polite people even though they do love food but also very secretive and this seems like right. Durin to T where he's like he does know how to sort of parlay as well and yeah. they can be very hospitable to people when they want to be. Right. Um, I mean, they dig up gold and treasures and then, like, you know, so that's really valuable. So you know, they right. seem that they'd be have more of a kingdom and royal aspect to them. Yeah. yeah. And, like, that, yeah, Tolkien didn't write them to be, like, homeless people. They're, like, magical yeah. beings, right? They're, like, dwarves. So mm-hmm. he would always, like, how they, like, always had different color hoods and they were very neat and stuff. Yeah. I mm-hmm. don't know. So just a right. small thing, but I, I really like the way they've portrayed the dwarves in the show. Yeah, that's, no, that's good. Um, now, I've heard some people think that Arondir is the best elf in the show because they think that that's they've just done a good job of betraying him as a Tolkien elf. Um, what do you think about that? I, I actually think that as well. I think it's interesting because most of the other elves are characters Tolkien wrote about and Amazon has gone in a very different direction with them, just in general, how they've portrayed elves. I think Arondir, um, sort of remains that there's like mystery about him. I don't know. He's always like sort of very stoic and you sort of see that contrast to the men around him that he's always shows less emotion and is, um, mm. just more calm. And I feel like it, it the contrast works very well. And you're sort of lost with this mystery, whereas uh, Galadriel's character just doesn't seem to. She's like, I have a storm in me. I don't know. Uh, seems to really lack it. And um, yeah, yeah, I think Arondir is like probably, and it, he might be like along with Halbrun, two of my favorite characters in the show so far. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. Um. Ferrazon seems pretty accurate. Uh, and his yeah, um, his his character and I mean, yep. I think is I think I'm like holding out. I'm holding out my judgment for Ferrazon just because they're like there's so much of the fall of Numenor storyline we still need to get to, and right. so if they could like really change things up if they wanted to. Yeah, I'm hoping that if what they start out is like yeah, he's like this conniving person who's like power hungry and is eventually going to be easily manipulated by Sauron. Yeah. Um, and trying to think like, yeah, I mean, and like the people we talked about that have been, that are like good representations of like, some of Tolkien's characters. Um, they seem to have that better sense of like, you know, right right and wrong in a way of they're making you know they're clearly the good guys right and they're clearly doing good things for good reasons um and I yeah think that's, that's like a rondeer to you right like yeah. he's always on the side of good you're never like oh like he's morally questionable um right that's his character it's like like galadriel you're not sure if she's gonna like stab some random guy I mean, not that not that they would actually do that, but it just kind of seems that she's more radical, and I don't know that revenge driven, like and yeah. like single minded, right? Where it's like Ron is like he's trying to help the people yeah. of the village and stuff, and he really cares about people. Yeah, and Gladwell just seems to have like this 
inner struggle constantly about I have a storm in me. I'm gonna yeah. reuse that line because I think it's so cheesy yeah. over and over again. But and that doesn't it doesn't seem that Tolkien really writes his characters that way, right? Um. So I think like there is inner struggle with characters, especially like Eowyn is like one because okay. she loves Aragorn yeah. and is torn between like this changing world. Um, but frequently the ring is what like uh, causes people to have like these inner struggles, and it like starts off by feeding on their good side, not like feeding their dark side. Um, yeah. So, for example, when Sam Gamgee first puts on the ring, he's like, oh, I'm going to like take over Mordor and be put like turn the whole thing into a garden and like make it great, right? And that's like how the ring gets you. <laughs> it starts off like giving yeah. you good motives. Um, but yeah, so I think that's like this inner struggle that a lot of characters are experiencing in the show right. is not really fitting, especially with a dark side, right? Like a lot of characters will struggle with indecision maybe, but... Not with like a revenge seeking mm-hmm. mode right. in their soul. That's good. Um, but yeah, so a lot of things to anticipate, and hopefully Amazon does a good job of that. Yeah, and it's sort of weird that like there's only two episodes left, right? Like I, I feel like I feel like they still have a long way to go before I don't know. Yeah, but oh, well, so we see how they do. Um, <laughs> You know, try to keep giving a generally unbiased opinion until, yeah, until I see something that's truly, I truly disagree with. Um, but, um, yeah, so we'll see how these next two episodes go. And Yeah. I was going to say, I think, like, the kiss in this, this episode was, like, fine, right? Like, I don't know. It oh, oh like... yeah. No, I thought, like, that's... You thought there was, I no, mean... like, sex scenes galore. <sighs> right. I was, yeah, it was good. That was good. So, um, oh, it was but, good. I felt, felt was a little more of that. Kissing <laughs> oh, action. Yes, yeah. Do you hear us, Amazon? Please put more of those kisses into the next yeah. episode. Yeah. But if you um, can have between Galadriel and Halbrand next time, that'd be even better. That, yeah, that would be horrible. No, that would truly be horrible. But, yeah. So, we'll catch us, guys, for the episode seven. And, Enjoy. Thanks for visiting the White City. Before you leave, please subscribe to our podcast and check us out at thewhitecitypodcast.com. Consider supporting my movement on Facebook, keeping the rings of power pure.